You know, one evening just before the great Broadway musical star Mary Martin was to go on stage in her performance in South Pacific, a note was handed to her. It was from the great composer and lyricist Oscar Hammerstein, who at the moment was on his deathbed. And the short note simply said, Dear Mary, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love isn't love until you give it away. Well, today we're beginning this new sermon series about that very subject, love, as defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're calling this sermon series the most excellent way, love. And this is truly the way Christians should live their lives. And 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us that it isn't really love until we give it away to others, till we share it with others. Now, loving others is never easy, especially for Christians whose God, whose values, whose beliefs, and whose very way of life is being maligned every single day by the culture. It is difficult to love people who are unethical, people who are deceptive, who stretch the truth at every chance they get, people who are greedy and selfish and who will turn on you in a moment's notice. How do we love people that are hard to love? You know, if I pose that question to many of us, we might say, well, we just need to try harder. Or we need to be more self-aware of our need to be more loving. We need to be more intentional or make loving others a priority. Or we need to give it our all, even if it costs us everything. And it may do just that. But could it be that we are missing a very important step in this process of loving others? In this process of having a love that we're able to give away? Could it be that the first step toward loving others is not a step toward people, but actually a step toward God? After all, We can never pass along what we do not have in the first place. Or what one pastor famously says, we can never export what was never on the ship in the first place. Well, in this sermon series, we're going to learn firsthand the secret to loving our fellow human beings, and that is to live as loved people. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because He first loved us. And earlier in the chapter, verses 7 and 8, it said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. We cannot give away what we have not received, but once we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we are attached to the source of love. Once we are in a life-changing relationship with Jesus, we then have the capacity to love others, the capacity to live as loved people. Now, 1 John 4, 9 reads, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Part of living through Him, living through Jesus, is loving others through Him. That means loving our spouse through Jesus, loving our children, our grandchildren through Jesus. This means loving our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers, 
our classmates, teammates, our fellow believers, the obnoxious uh, people in our lives, and even strangers through Jesus. And there are a lot of people for us to love through Jesus. Max Lucado writes, God loves you personally, powerfully, passionately. Others have promised to love you, but they have failed. But God has promised and succeeded. God loves you with an unfailing love, and His love, if you will receive it, it can fill you and leave you with a love that's worth giving to others. This is how, or this is the love that 1 Corinthians describes for us here as the most excellent way. Now, to begin with today, it's important that I address the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what's often called the love chapter. And it's part of a three-chapter section, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians that is addressing division in the church at Corinth and the division that existed. They had many divisions, but one of their major divisions in the church existed over spiritual gifts, specifically the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And some were emphasizing that speaking in tongues was more important than all the other spiritual gifts. So back up with me to chapter 12 for a moment, and I want to read for you verses 1 through 11. Here's what it says. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same kind of Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everybody has a spiritual gift who's in Christ Jesus. May have multiple spiritual gifts. And they are given for the common good of the body of Christ. To one there's given the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Then the apostle goes on to use the analogy of the human body and how important every one of our Uh, body parts are to one another. Hands, feet, eyes, you know, all these things, ears, everything has an important function in our body. We pick it up now in verses 18 through 28. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our present parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers if, if with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. Now he's switching from the human analogy of body to, to the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Now in verse 29, these are all going to be rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Do all have that gift? Do all have that capacity? No. Uh, do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then the rest of that verse, which actually is really part of chapter 13, says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. The way of division is not God's plan. The way of people elevating themselves above each other because of their charismata, their giftedness, that, that is not the way of, of Christ. I will show you the most excellent way. Instead of having charismatic squabbles, instead of overemphasizing things that are temporal, there's a better way. Now look at verse 8 of chapter 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. These things are temporal. These are for the here and now. These are for the church age, for the age that Bible scholars call the age of the Holy Spirit, from where Pentecost came up until the other bookend when Jesus Christ returns. During this period, these gifts and all of this are so important, but, but they're for the here and now. But the things that we should be emphasizing are what are eternal. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Here's what the apostle says. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Then down to verses 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. The way of love has always been in the church and through the church the most excellent way. And this is what Jesus modeled for us while he was on earth. 
And this is what he's empowered us in the church to do. So I want to take and look at one example of this from the life of Jesus found in Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles open, I would invite you to turn to chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And I'm going to begin by reading verses 36 through 39. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, could any two people be any different? Simon was a Pharisee. He was a keeper of God's standards, or at least he thought he was a keeper of God's standards. And here's a woman with a bad reputation in that community. Simon is looked up to. This woman is looked down upon. And this guy has made a life of promoting God's law. This woman has spent her life breaking God's laws. And he's the host of this party, and she's the one who comes in and crashes the party. Now, Simon, we don't know this for sure, but we, we get that he was upset with, with, you know, Jesus can't be this prophet because he doesn't recognize who this woman is. I think he was probably pretty upset inside. Who, who let this woman in? How did this prostitute get past my servants? I never would let this kind of riffraff into any one of my parties. Well, Jesus answers him. Didn't say anything, but Jesus knows what he's saying. In verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon... I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Simon treats treats Jesus like he's some kind of second-class citizen. There were no common cultural courtesies, no greeting him with a kiss, no washing Jesus' feet, no oil for his head. In our culture, it would mean, hey, Didn't even turn the light on when they come and approach your house so they can get safely in. Didn't open the door and greet you with a handshake or give you a warm greeting. Didn't take your coat or or hang it up for you. And there was no invitation extended for a cup of coffee or a cool drink of water 
on a hot summer day. Now, for the sake of illustration, it's so easy for us to look down on Simon the Pharisee from our 21st century perspective of the cross of Jesus Christ. But I want you to imagine with me today your church's staff's Christmas party, which we have every single year, except last year we weren't able to do it because of COVID. And one of those years, our now president of the, United, of the Evangelical Covenant Church, Dr. John Wenrick, even joined us for our staff Christmas party. All of our children come, our families are there, we have wonderful fellowship and a wonderful meal. But just imagine when the president of our denomination was there, that all of a sudden a hooker crashes the party wearing a tight skimpy dress and blouse that leaves nothing to the imagination has all kinds of gaudy makeup on and pulls off president wenrick's shoes and socks and begins washing his feet with her tears parents would be covering their children's eyes and and those of their grandchildren they would be taking them out of the room verse 47 tells us here therefore this is the summation of everything Jesus said. Whoever is forgiven little, loves little. Verse 48 goes on, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's no getting past this important step. As 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 points out, we love because He first loved us. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it teaches us that we begin to be more loving when we accept our place as dearly loved children of God. Follow God's example, the Apostle Paul said, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Jesus loved us. You know, pastors are notorious for calling their parishioners to love one another and to love their neighbors as themselves without telling them every time that they are loved in the first place by God. And doing so is akin to asking people to write large checks without any deposits being put into their accounts. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, we read as the following. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The secret to loving is to live as love children of God. And then it doesn't matter what other people think of us. It doesn't matter what they call us, whether they look up to us or, or they look down upon us. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what they say or, or don't say about us, whether they ridicule us or mock us. We're loved children of God. We're secure in God's love. You know, the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, 17, for the church that we would be rooted and established in love. You know, in our sermon series through 1 John that we learned about God who is the God of light and love, we learned there from the Apostle John that we should be relying and on the love of God, the love that God has for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 
to know and to rely on the love that God has for us. We learned in that series in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and this is His command, to believe in the name of Je His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commands us. The Bible is absolutely clear on this. Receive, first of all, our love from God, and then, secondly, go out and love others. Now, in this sermon series over the remainder of the summer and into the fall, we're going to spend 11 consecutive Sundays focusing on love's definition in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. 11 weeks we're going to be camped right there on that section. And I'm going to invite you with your Bibles before you right now to go ahead and look at that text. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It, is not it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, let's challenge ourselves here this morning. And instead of using the word subject, uh, love as the subject here, or when it uses the pronoun it as the subject, which is referring to love, put your name in there. Daryl is patient. Daryl is kind. Daryl does not envy. Daryl does not boast. Daryl is not proud. I don't get very far and I wash out completely. I wash out completely. You know, put your name in there. Daryl does not dishonor others or is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. When people offend me, I just don't even remember it. Put your name in there. You know, Daryl does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Daryl always protects. He always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Daryl never fails. I'm telling you what, it doesn't take long when you put your own name in there to figure out we don't measure up. There's a standard here that nobody can meet. Not me, not you, not any of your pastors in this church, not your spouse, not your children, not any of your friends, no matter how wonderful they might be, nobody meets the standard. Now, I encourage you to do this. Put Jesus' name in there. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. It rings completely true, doesn't it? See, rather than telling us about a love that we could never duplicate, the Bible presents us with a love that we should never resist. God's love for us. We love because He first loved us. Let's pray together. God, thank You for the opportunity to focus in 2022 on loving You and loving others. 
And Lord, uh, as we've already studied in 1 John, we've learned a lot of things biblically about what love is. And Lord, today as we're now beginning this series about the most excellent way to, to live a life of love, to share the love that you have for us with others, God, we have been reminded that we love because you first loved us. You have commanded us to love God, but you are the one who's made the deposit in our accounts that gives us the ability, the capacity to even love others. God, our world so desperately needs your love right now, and it needs it uh, through your children, those that name you as Savior and Lord of, of their lives. Oh, God, bless us in this ser sermon series, and most importantly, God, help us to share your love so that others may experience uh, all that love that you have for them. And we might be part of that process of you showing them your love, God. We pray to that end now in Jesus' name. Amen.